Welcome to WDTNN's podcast, Workforce Development Technology News Network. Your host, Dustin Swain, Burns Phillips, and Dr. Clay Phillips. Hey, welcome back, listeners. And uh, if you joined us in our last podcast, we talked about how culture is everything. And today's podcast is going to be titled, Wanted, Leadership, Dead or Alive. And uh, when we talk about that, Clay, what do you, what do you think we mean by wanted, leadership, dead or alive? Uh, Dustin, I think it's uh, it's a it's a cry of desperation from the organizations that we deal with and we talk to every day, and uh, you know, as uh, a representation of of uh, how how much they need real leadership. In other words, you know, if they could dig up a a, a great leader who has already passed to the great beyond, you know, say like. George Washington or Martin Luther King Jr., you know, please give us a real leader, whether they're alive or not. We don't care. We just want a real leader. (laughs) Someone who can make the decisions, right? And not be in fear. Right. And that understands leadership. Uh, You know, this is kind of drifting off into the Burns Phillips land. But, you know, and I agree with him wholeheartedly that, you know, is, is the formula for a leader is that uh, I, I agree with Burns in that I believe a person has to be born with certain personality and character traits, but then they also have to be trained and taught and groomed. But if you don't have that seed in there mm-hmm. that they were born with those, those leadership characteristics and traits, uh, you know, you're just putting lipstick on a plate on a pig. <laughs> and I think that's what I, you know, me guys, I talk to, to our customers just as plainly as I'm talking right now. And, you know, the worst thing an organization can do is call a pig with lipstick on it a leader. Yeah. And sadly, that's where so many organizations are right now because leadership means entitlement. Yeah. And entitlement means status quo and status quo means death to the organization. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I'd add a layer to that too, is that, you know, a lot of the the missing elements too for leaders today is having the information necessary to make those informed decisions and not just take stabs in the dark at, well, this might work or it might not, leading the organization down a path that they may not want to go on. And, you know, does that leader have uh, the gumption to make that decision? Or are they sitting in fear and just letting whatever's there work, continue to work? Well, it's to me, we we hear, uh, you know, terms of resentment about leadership from the rank and file you know, when they say things like the ivory tower, well, you know, there's two words in there, mm. you know, that describe feelings that are coming from that, that, uh, that analogy. One is ivory. What does that mean? It means it's, it's hoity toity. It's shiny. It's, it's fancier than anything we all see anywhere else in this organization. And the other one is tower, which is, which is what I think the leadership today or organizations have lost sight of is the tower of leadership and the power of leadership comes from the tower, meaning that if the leader is not willing to sit on the pinnacle of that tower and not look down on everybody, but look at everybody, make contact with them, genuine contact. In other words, if the leader, they can see everything, but they're really not paying attention to it. They're not connecting with it. So is it a penthouse? 
or is it a strategic observation point? And the, the real leader today will not see it as a penthouse. They'll see it as that strategic observation point. They're the ones with the binoculars and they're constantly moving around that tower 360 degrees to make sure that their, their people are adequately uh, equipped, their people are adequately trained, and as important, it goes right to the culture, is that the people believe adequately that their leadership cares about them. Well, that, you know, that, that's, that's very true. You know, the, the bottom line to leadership is that it's about people. If you're a leader, you should see yourself as being in the people business. You know, it's about in, enabling people who work in your organization, you, who you might manage, enabling them to use their talents and their skills to the, their maximum capability. And your goal is to groom these individuals by letting them grow to take your job. You're trying to get people who will be able to perform if you're not there, if you're gone. And if you do that in an organization, if, if you focus so much on, on the, the individuals who work for you, for the, for the people who actually, as we say, do the work, the ones that are actually engaging your customers, then your, your corporation or your organization is going to be much the stronger for it uh, because they are almost on autopilot because of the environment that you've created and the fact that you've developed or let them develop as individuals. So it's, it's all about being in the, in the people business. And, and too many leaders today uh, don't understand that. You know, for the last two or three decades, anywhere from 15 to $50 billion has been spent on all kinds of leadership, training, books, papers, studies. Uh, and despite that, there's not much to be shown in terms of leadership uh, having been realized in the business and even the in the public or the private sectors so something's missing and it's either philosophy of the people who are in leadership positions which i think that's probably most of it they don't they've lost sight of what's important which is their employees and their customers but leadership is sometimes uh held captive by the fact that especially in the in the private sector by individuals who are high performers that that they're afraid to disrupt themselves in terms of introducing them to new technologies. I know Dustin is well versed on that. Yeah. And and uh, he might want to speak to that. Yeah, you know, and that's that's an excellent point. And you know, you both are right in the terms of what qualities go into leadership and it's a people business and you know you've got to focus on that as you know, the main priority of your organization and what you're there for. But, you know, recently I was at a, a conference of uh, many business leaders there and uh, it was a Zendesk conference. It was out West at their Relate conference. And, you know, there was an individual there, I, we were having lunch and uh, I introduced myself and talked about our use case story and, uh, you know, talking about how I was really shocked at the fact that, you know, I always thought government was 20 years behind business and technological advances and uh, things that you're doing to enhance whatever your productivity is. And, you know, after sharing our story, uh, 
that gentleman uh, was talking about his business. He said, well, I don't really see how that plays into uh, our organization. Uh, and what he was talking about was the fact that he had a salesperson who, uh, you know, was bringing in $10 million worth of business for their company. And, you know, he said, well, you know, you're in the business of government. You're kind of like a monopoly, right? Uh, in the sense that you're the only people that they can go to for that service. But if I've got an individual who says, I'm not going to make a change. You change the technology here, I'm leaving. And I'm taking the $10 million of business with me, maybe. You know, assuming there's no non-compete contract there. But say that's the case. And that leader's got to look at that and say, that's basically me saying I'm willing to give up $10 million of revenue for our company just by making a change to better enhance our technology, our efficiency to gather necessary information that we're missing. And that's a real struggle, I think, with business leaders out there today, especially who have sales teams. You know, and, and when I look at that, um, it, it really, it just kind of shocked me for a moment. I said, so here is a, is a company with leadership who is hesitant to make a decision that could be the lifeline or their death sentence in the future, whether or not they're competitive in their market, you know, based on what the tools they've adopted or not. And, and they're relying on someone who's basically holding their company hostage because they say, if, if, you know, if you make this change, I'm not going to do it. So basically it's just saying leadership may want to make some technological changes, but you know, can't because this guy's going to leave and, you know, I guess we're just going to keep on doing what we've always been doing. And I mean, what do you guys think about that? You, you know, you both have been in sales. Uh, what's your answer to that? What's your thoughts? Well, I, I can, I can concur with that apprehension on the individual's part, but I can also take exception to it. Having come from the, the private sector where uh, I have a company that had salespeople and also had distributors. And when you do have a big producer has a, a large book of business, you are, uh, uh, you do mm, treat that individual a little bit differently probably. Uh, that's just, that's just a fact. That's what you have to do, or what what we did then. Because back when I say back then, this was, you know, I had my business up until about 2008, and things have changed an awful lot in terms of technology since then. And and the gentleman that you were talking to in, in California, uh, or wherever it was that you said that you went, yeah, uh, yeah it was a business. Know, traveled, it was a business. I traveled thing. all over the world, yeah. and and I spent an awful lot of time besides being in airplanes and hotels and uh, restaurants surrounded by other business people. And you hear other business people around you talking about the same problems you have. Everybody has the same problems. The difference then from now is that businesses are in a better position with the technology that's out there to know exactly what's going on with their customers not having it filtered through this necessarily through the salesperson, but to know exactly what the interaction is between your salespeople and your customers. And of course you have a lot of people that interact with your customers that are not salespeople, right. but, but you're going to get information upon which to make solid decisions, or you're going to gather information that would help you sit down with that individual and perhaps explain to him why this would be better for him. Cause I've never met a salesman who didn't want to make, more money right and we're talking about salesmen here if you can convince that individual and show that individual that this not only is where the the company's going but this is what it would do for that individual 
uh, I think that you would greatly benefit uh, and from he would greatly benefit from that and you might turn him turn him around or his objection to new technology but you couldn't do it in the past because you really didn't have that real-time data that you can get today that, that can actually back up what you're saying in terms of why you should go in that direction as a corporation or as a business and that your people should go along with it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I think that really stuck out to me was that, you know, here's an organization uh, that was at the Zendesk conference. It's a business that, that, you know, obviously was in some sort of sales and, and they're basically saying, you know, that this new product that you got out, I think it was uh, Zendesk cell had just been released and it was basically, you know, software to help salesmen and uh, the teams that are surrounds the salesperson be in communication with one another and to, to show those beneficial information points for leadership to make better decisions on, which is, you know, how often, you know, maybe is this person getting sales calls and how quick are they to respond and what's the revenue and, and just tying all this information in that, you know, basically goes into sales decisions and, you know, here's a company who wanted to make that move, but it was still reluctant to based on the fact that this gentleman had, who'd been there obviously a long time, I don't know the exact time frame, but say he was there 20, 30 years, has built a wealth of knowledge that is in this business book of business that he's got, yet it's not anywhere that can be shared with leadership other than when they communicate with him directly. There's nothing documenting any of his knowledge, any of his tactics, anything that could be shared with the future growth of this company. And I think they were uh, hungry for that because, you know, that's kind of the what we've been talking about all along is that, you know, that transfer of knowledge is so important for any business, really, uh, not just salespeople, but anyone, that you have that transfer of knowledge from the employees who have been there because otherwise you're kind of held hostage if you don't have that. Well, yeah, and I can tell you too that when you're talking about salespeople, and I've been a salesperson and I've managed salespeople, and you know it can be a lonely life. Uh, it, it takes a, a different and even a special breed of person to be a salesperson. Uh, most salespeople anymore today, particularly, I'm assuming Dustin, the, the like the gentleman you're talking about, uh, probably you know operates independently a good percentage of the time, probably 80, 90% of the time, uh, he's out there on his own. He's making it happen. Um, so there's a lot of trust that exists between the organization and him, but that still doesn't diminish that this guy is out there, you know, uh, not really necessarily feeling lonely from an emotional standpoint, but, uh, he may not feel, uh, that he's re receiving immediate support or strategic support so he can not just do his job, but so that he can uh, grow the business, so to speak, you know, he can acquire a new business and, you know, he can uh, penetrate existing uh, accounts deeper. So there, I think there's that element. So if you've got a strong uh, salesperson in this example, that's, that's really performing um, the, the detriment to the company can be that they just assume that, Hey, he knows what he's doing. We're not going to rock that boat. We don't want to tip the apple cart. This guy's worth too much money to us. That to me is just a symptom of, of an underlying root issue that, uh, the, the leadership in that organization needs to, needs to calibrate, uh, their focus. 
Mm -hmm. um, and not that they are intimidated by this gentleman, but I say in that relationship, who's, who's leading whom? And is anybody providing him with real leadership that keeps him uh, cohesive with the company and right. what the company wants to achieve long-term? So, hey, he's got a job next year. Uh, but I think that's, again, uh, what it all comes back to. I, I mean, I'm not looking to blame anybody in particular, but I believe if there's a systemic problem with an organization, it is absolutely categorically undeniably a leadership problem. That's where the problem is. Doesn't make them bad people. Mm. It just means, I mean, when when we dig into scenarios like this it, with our clients, and you guys have done it in the past, I've done it in the past, and you have a systemic problem, where does it always take you? It, right. it takes you to the top, to a very high decision-making level, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, every single time. Not that we automatically go there, we still follow the crumbs, right? Uh, so it's not just that I'm I'm kind of gunslinging with with this response of mine. It's it's based on years of experience that um, you know an organization has a, a whole lot more more to lose than they realize in a scenario like this. But it's not where they think it is that they have to lose. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add a point to that as far as systemic problems pointing back up to, to leadership is that it's not necessarily the leader themselves. It's, it's what have they surrounded themselves with to make the decisions to move that company forward. Right. And I think we right. even touched on that in the last podcast, which was, you know, it is an indictment on leadership if they have been shown some tools that will advance their company, will advance their operations, will make them more efficient, will give them the information to make better decisions on. And, if they look and see and know that that's out there and then they decide not to move that direction, especially in this case where someone may be holding you hostage at a lower level. I think that just sends ripples throughout the company. You know, if you see someone well, who's challenged said. leadership and they were successful in it, well, that just, <laughs> you know, that just kind of cut them down in your eye a little bit. It would for me. Well, yeah, like Burns said, Burns said yesterday, you know, we're not indicting anybody, but right. a leader quotation you know, open, close quote, that leader in, in that model that you just described, they should be indicted. Yeah. And they should be stripped of the title leader because th they're doing the exact opposite. Anything that's going to either hold the company back or prevent it from moving forward. I just want somebody to tell me where that falls under the category of leader mm -hmm. because it doesn't, <laughs> but I'm willing to discuss it. Well, I'll go back to leadership is, is about people. And, you know, I do sort of understand what the person is saying about the $10 million producer. Uh, and, and there's something to be considered there. I, I you know, I, you, you guys have heard me tell a story about when I had my business and I had a salesperson uh, that had a tremendous book of business, did very well. And when that individual was going to go on vacation, asked me if I would uh, make sure that, that her business, her customers were, were um, covered and that if I would go and talk to them and see them, which I did. And it got off to a real rocky start because very quickly they uh, were virtually throwing me out of their operating room and out of the hospital. 
which I couldn't really figure out why they were being so incredibly rude. And, and I called this individual and said, I'm afraid I have really uh, upset your customers. I don't know what I have done. And she said, no, they called me and they thought, or, or what they said to me was, there's some guy in here trying to steal your business. And of course she said, well, no, that guy happens to own the business, which they didn't know because I, I pretty much stayed in the background with, with those customers. And I think that points out that, um, and of course they were apologetic to her. They didn't say, oh, we didn't know who he was. Thought he was just another sales guy. Well, you have to take into consideration the loyalty that, and again, here we're talking about sales, the sales people. There are a lot of people in, in businesses that don't or aren't sales roles, even though they deal with customers. You have to take into consideration that, that loyalty that their customers have of good salespeople. But, but I'll go back to it, it. Leadership is about people. And if you can't see, if you're in a leadership position today and you can't see how important technology is to the future and how, if you don't embrace it and you don't get your organization to embrace it and utilize it, how you're going to be passed by, then that's a dereliction of duty. I think uh, you have to be in the people business to be able to sit down with people like this big producer and show them why this is the best thing for the company and the best thing for them individually. And again, I've never known a business, a sales guy who or sales person who was comfortable uh, with a certain amount of money. As soon as they got comfortable and they got complacent and they were less productive. So if you, I think if you could show in this, this situation as a leader, you know, it's your responsibility to, to help that under that individual understand the, the who, what, when, where, and why of why you're changing things. If you don't do that, you are, you're, you're doing as much damage to the organization as you would if that individual were to leave because you're making that organization vulnerable to your competitors. And I think that's, that all goes back to leadership and it all goes back to uh, being in the people business. Well, and I'll chime in on that too, Burns, is that, you know, and I'm as much a fundamentalist as I'm a, I am anything. And that it, 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 to me, is a matter of how leadership is defined in the fir first place at any given organization. You know, because organization A cannot be really concerned with how organization B defines leadership unless they are partners or collaborators or they have a customer vendor relationship, something like that. But really beyond the borders of their organization, if that organization, every organization, if that organization doesn't have a very clear and viable definition of what leadership is, then what's it going to be? It's going to end up being something, right? And and 99.9% uh, or times out of 100, rather, it's going to end up being something that the organization does not want or they didn't want and it happened anyway. Well, that's kind of the, the whole alpha dog approach. You know, in the absence of an alpha dog, an alpha is going to step up, but it just may not be the alpha that you wanted. Okay, so for me, an organization has got to have their definition of what leadership within their their company, their organization is, 
so it, one doesn't become something else and two so that it aligns with their mission and their vision and what they really stand for if it's not there then what in the world are its employees going to follow they're, they're going to follow somebody or they're going to follow something and they're either going to they're going to follow a leadership model that's moving forward in a progressive fashion into the future that's embracing change whether it's technology whether it's the needs of the human race whether it has to do with product manufacturing new methods things like that uh, I'm going to tell you right now, my experience in the research I've done shows that that is the ideal model that employees really want and they want to follow it. So, you know, it's it, so in a nutshell for me, if, if we've got a model of uh, that's centered on followership as a result, then we know that that is somewhere at least in the category of a servant leadership model, right? That that leader is is serving their employees, making their job easier with the better tools, making their work environment healthier, both mentally, emotionally, and physically, right? That that's a, a servant leadership model. Now, if they if we don't have that, really in the absence of a servant leadership model that's focused on uh, uh, creating followership, then by default, I'm going to tell you that what the organization has is a fear and resistance leadership model in place. And everybody's afraid. I'm not just saying that the, the employees fear the leadership. I'm saying that the leadership is in fear of mm. something, of failing, yeah. of not knowing everything, of whatever it is. But it's pervasive, right? And, and what's the result? The result within the organization is resistance to that so-called leadership. So, but the good news is we, we three know is that changing that and turning that around, even in the worst, well, as far as worst case uh, example, I could imagine, I've seen it. I've seen decayed, uh, treacherous leadership models within organizations turn around. I've seen it happen. You guys have seen it happen. You guys made it happen to a, a very healthy servant leadership model that inspires followership. Look what you guys did at the Department of Labor in, uh, you know, you, you began to see results in that change of culture and uh, evidently in what, three to six months, you really started seeing the change begin. And think about how bad that condition was. So. I think it's important for our listeners to understand that we're just not sitting here theorizing about this. You know, uh, you guys have done it. I've been a part of that to see that happen. And so when we're talking about leadership and uh, an organization has got to put a priority on it. If they don't, then how can they prioritize their culture? How can they prioritize their, their business processes? How can they prioritize their customers? It starts and it ends with leadership, whatever the model is. Right. And you mentioned fear. If you've got uh, middle managers that are afraid to make decisions or they're afraid to let those who work, uh, who, who they supervise, make decisions, that's coming from the top. 
that's poor leadership from the top. They're, they're instilling fear into that organization and fear destroys innovation, creativity. It causes a, a disengaged workforce, which as we've said before, is very corrosive to any organization. So the, the fact that you were mentioning, that you mentioned fear is critical, I think, in any organization and in leadership. That, that cannot exist. That is a hindrance to progress. Well, certainly, and yeah. Whether it's, whether it's in the mid management or lower, but it, that comes from the top. Yeah, and you know, yeah, it's 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 a hindrance. <clears throat> it's a killer. <laughs> yeah, and you know, if, know if leadership is is afraid or fearful to make changes that could disrupt their processes, you know, they're they're if they don't have their culture right, they're in the hands of the people who will be using that technology, right? So when they implement that new technology and they've got if they've built their culture on fear, uh, that's that has to be addressed first. I think you have well, to have the culture fear right comes from, the, from not from the unknown. You don't you are afraid of what you don't know, so right. you're afraid to make decisions. You're afraid to empower people, and that all goes back to what you were saying, Dustin, about technology. If you've got technology that is giving you reality, we've talked about that before. Mm. It's telling you what reality is that goes a long way to help remove that, that fear of making decisions, making, uh, you know, choices, uh, that fear of experimenting lack in that lack of information is what co contributes a lot to that besides the, uh, the negative culture from the top. So I think then again, we go back to, it's all about having information about the health of your organization and the reality of um, what's going on not only in the, in the business or the organization, but outside the business and organization. Yeah, and I, you know, I think in that example, just going back to the salesperson for a moment, you know, the technology that is out there, kind of where we were getting back into discussing how government may relate is the fact that, you know, we, we were looking at it uh, from a standpoint of getting customer information for government purposes, right? The business process that we were delivering for whatever, you know, if it was unemployment insurance, workforce services, whatever. At the end of the day, we needed that customer information. But I think it gets, you know, it, it looks even more complicated and may create even more fear for some business leaders when they say, well, I've got a sales pipeline, right? But I would challenge business leaders on, the, on what kind of information do you know that integrates between your customer support and your sales pipeline? Because I think that's vitally critical in today's technological uh, world. The 21st century of this you know, age is, is the fact that you have that information, but are you using it in real time to make decisions? So in that, in that model... You know, maybe that sales guy, uh, you know, just making some assumptions here, but maybe one of the elements there is why he resisting the change is because, you know, maybe there's some methods there that he doesn't want exposed, you know, and maybe there's some things in that sales pipeline he doesn't want to be known, like the fact that maybe he's only working one day a week, but yet he's still able to deliver the 10 million. But, you know, in my eyes as an, as an owner of the company or a, a business leader in there, I'd say, well, what would happen if you work five days a week? That's right. <laughs> you know, and that's some of the kind of information. That's, what, that's you know. about being comfortable. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you know, if as long as he's, you know, say he's growing 2%, 10% a year, whatever, and he only has to work an extra hour here and there. I mean, I think that's what, what is out there. I think companies are aware that that information is attainable. 
but it's just it even goes back to just like in our government example. I mean, we had resistance initially. People didn't want their phone conversations recorded. They didn't want that transcribed. You know, we were able to overcome that with some other, you know, basically flipping it around and saying, well, when have you ever been given credit for all those phone calls and emails that you've had? You know, this system reveals that information, but if you, you know, that all goes to the intentions of the person in the system. What are you using it for? Not trying to use it to kick people out, fire people or whatever. It's to give people credit for what they are doing. And, you know, in that salesperson model, I think you have to go back and look and say, okay, well, yes, I want that information. I want the information to know that once they made that sale and, you know, they went through the prospecting process, they, they made all the calls that they needed to do. They, you know, they, they've got other teams involved in helping make that sale happen. But then the follow-up to that is the customer support piece. Now all that information can be put together. And this one person, because you know they, they own a large chunk of our sales revenue, is kind of holding us hostage in that situation. I think that's just going right back to what we're talking about. It's leadership. And you know what are you going to build the foundation of your company on? Letting the, the people who bring in the revenue drive your company? Or is it you, the leader of the organization, saying this is the direction we're going and you know we want to encourage and we want to show the who, what, when, where, why, and how we're doing this? so that everyone's informed, but we it's vital for us to remain competitive in this market. That's right. And you're empowering that person yes. when you do that. Uh, and you're going to get them more engaged. Right. And it, well, it gets everyone engaged, right? I mean, we talk about communication being the most basic need of any organization, and that flows up, down, left, right, all directions. But if you've got salespeople who are out there keeping stuff in you know, their business books, their daily planners, and they're not putting it into a system that's revealed to all those in that pipeline chain who may offer support in it, you're not getting the information you need. And what happens? God forbid that person gets run over or they, you know, something happens or they leave the company. What happens to you next? You just lost $10 million. I mean, maybe talking back to the point earlier about the, the loyalty of customers. Well, if they're loyal to that person and not your company, you've got a dire problem. And, you know, I just think that, you know, if you're, if you're a business out there who obviously has sales of some aspect or an organization that includes sales in their business process, you have got to start transferring that knowledge into some sort of, uh, well, as we know it, uh, there's products out there. One of them is Zendesk. They've got a guide. You transfer that knowledge into that guide, Right. And then you train your new people on that. Now, what does that give you? Well, it gives you uh, future longevity, right? Because it's basically you're saying, just like we did at the department, we basically said, uh, look, this unemployment model where, you know, we're basically saying we can't bring in a new hire because it takes six to eight weeks. Well, guess what? The peak of unemployment is gone in six to eight, eight weeks. So it didn't really help us out any. But there was a need to change that process. We needed that to be shortened, right? The time to productivity. And we got it to less than a week with that process of transferring the knowledge from the worker to a system that could be utilized by other workers. That simple. And I, I'm just saying, I'm making an argument that I think that can also be done in the sales world. Now, there are other characteristics that go into that, obviously. Right. But I, going back to, you said something I think is very important. It, it, is that you said if a company 
and again, we're talking about the sales arm of a company. If mm-hmm. the if the customer is loyal to the salesperson and not the company, you said that they have a real problem. Well, that's probably that was probably true in the past, mm-hmm. even back when I had my business. But today, you've got the tools that you can make the customer loyal that, that are going to be able to collect information that you need about the interaction with your customers, going to make it easier for the customer to interact with your company so that you're going to be able to create an environment where that customer is loyal to ABC company, not to Tom Jones sales guy. We didn't have that in the past. You've got that now and businesses need to embrace that because you want them loyal to your cut, to your business and to whatever it is you provide them by way of product or service today you can you can form that relationship with customers that you could not in the past and a lot of businesses are still living in the past that's part of the problem the leadership hasn't figured that out yeah well you know what's interesting about that is you know prior to today's podcast i found an article it was uh it's harvard business review and this issue happened to be uh November of 1985. And one of the examples it gives in there was back when GE set up its state-of-the-art automated dishwasher plant. And the original justifications for doing that was because they wanted to, you know, it was the cost of on the basis of savings over time. But there were many other payoffs that were kind of unanticipated, right? The, the fact that they could uh, use this same type of automation process for future investments later. And there were just many kind of, I uh, guess, derivatives to this. But one of the things that really stuck out to me was that even over 34 years ago, there was documented evidence within a large company in this uh, sector here, GE, uh, that you know one of the most important things that they pointed out was that perhaps even more important is the plan to transfer the knowledge from the old operation in which people knew those materials, the product very well, the new process, which outsiders may initially design and run, the developers of the new process often know their tools very well, but rarely do they understand the materials and processes that go into it. And I, that just really stuck out to me because um, it, it, I think it's still relevant today. Oh, I think so too. You know, and it's 34 years later. So what is that telling you? Leadership has either, either made a decision to adopt new technology or they haven't. And, you know, in this specific case, I think what draws the correlation between 34 years ago and today is there's much more information available today than there was 34 years ago. And the fact that, uh, you know, leadership back then may, may not have had tools to transfer that knowledge other than just course trainings, bringing people into a room today, that's much more, uh, efficient. I mean, for instance, the Zendesk guide, piece, right? I mean, that's, that's the ability to really take that information, put it into a system that can be searched and brought up and utilized internally as well as externally. And that wasn't available 34 years ago, but yet it still remains a problem today. That's right. That's a good example. Yeah. To Burns's point that, you know, I think we get a little too comfortable uh, with technology, the ease of access and so forth and so on. But when I hear an organization say, you know, now we're just going to stick with the way we we've, we've been doing it because it works and so on. And uh, the, you know, if they've been around for any decent amount of time, they've clearly forgotten a very important part of their past. Uh, some of our listeners may not remember uh, the, this time in history, but 
uh, I remember when the Franklin Daytimer was new. I mean, it was a thing. And Burns, you alluded to it earlier. You know, if you were a business person, uh, a leader, a supervisor, a boss, a, a salesperson, if you didn't have a Franklin Daytimer, then you were not with the times, right? Uh, by the same token, uh, who remembers when the very first laptops came out, you know, that had floppy drives and they were $900? Uh, what about, uh, you know, when the PDAs or what's that, personal digital assistants came out, like Palm Pilots, and then it evolved into Blackberries. You know, if you didn't move with that technology, uh, then your customers had an edge on you that you couldn't deny. And mm. what was that edge? It was sharing information in an environment as close to real time as possible. Okay, today the rules are different. Today, an organization does not have the excuse of saying, now nah, we're just gonna keep doing it the way we're doing it without some major detriment being attached to that, right? You know, uh, and with a product, for example, like Zendesk, I mean, my goodness, <laughs> there's, I don't know that there's a single reason to not use it, except that an organization would say that they're happy with status quo, you know, like that they don't need to change. They don't need to improve, but, uh, it's, th this is just a progression yeah. of tools. Tech, the word technology scares people. The word digital scares people. The word change really scares people. And, uh, I think what we're saying is, is today. Uh, being afraid to change isn't an option. Well, I, you know, and I think it all goes back to the 34 years ago. I don't think organizations, businesses, government, certainly government, they weren't look, they were, they were not looking to the customer for information. And, you know, just in that article that was back in 85 in Harvard business review, uh, most of what they were looking for in that manufacturing process was not ultimately what that product did for the customer, which would then, you know, tell you that they're either happy with it or not, and whether or not you need to continue to manufacture it and whether or not the sales was there to, to, you know, keep it open. They were only looking so far as to the people who were implementing that new process to build or manufacture that new product. And I, you know, that was all that was really available back then. But today I think, you know, leaders have to look further than that. You have, it's a complete cycle all the way from leadership, driving that mission and vision all the way to the end user, which is the customer. Ultimately, whoever's buying what are X, Y, Z from you. And what, what I think we're all saying is that there are tools out there today to connect those dots. It's not good enough anymore to sit back and look at these new processes and things that you implement and, and know that it makes your, your employees happy. You have to go beyond that. You do want your employees to be happy. You want it to be a fun environment. You want to create that, that uh, culture there. But you've also got to go so far as to go out and look at it in real time to say, how are they interacting with our customers? And that can be salespeople. That can be customer support people. It can be every business input into that process. That's what, I mean, that's the major difference to me. 34 years ago to today, leadership still has problems, yet the tools and information have changed greatly, as you alluded to, Clay, about, you know, if you weren't using that Franklin Daybook Planner, if you weren't using Palm Pilots, Blackberries, things like that, but the, the tools have changed so rapidly today that there's bits of information that, that maybe some companies aren't even looking at. 
and they need to. Because I guarantee your competitors well, and, are. <laughs> yeah, and and you're that that that's another great point, Dustin. Is that you know, back in those days, and many of us recall, uh, the the company really took control of and maintained control of their relationship with the customer. Hmm. The really the only input that uh, organizations needed or thought they needed from their customers then was what do you want? How much of it do you want? Where do you want it sent? And how do you want to pay for it? Yeah. When today, and we all know this and anybody that's really paying attention knows this, that there is not a single uh, business sector or segment that is not vulnerable to disruption. And we know this to be true because what ultimately is the disruption we've already seen in the market segments and the sectors that we've seen. The disruption is these organizations are moving strictly to a customer-centric type of business model, right? We better give our customer or a customer what they want right now or somebody else is going to. Yeah, and how they want it, right? It's not just enough. How they want it. Yeah, yeah, it's not just enough about the review, like Amazon, right? So you, the 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 joy of shopping Amazon is you can go in there, virtually find anything, and there will be hundreds and thousands of reviews. So you get to make an informed decision as a consumer about that product, whether right. or not it's worthy of your buy. But also, what goes into all of that is the experience, the fact that you can go online from your phone, from your desktop, tablet laptop, whatever, your, your Apple watch, even you can, or Alexa, my goodness. I mean, there's just endless possibilities now about how you can order something today, but it's about the experience and not necessarily about the product. I've seen even examples of where maybe something got a lower review, but the experience was the fact that if it came in broken, that company delivered on their promise immediately. And, and that oversold maybe another household brand name. And that's the difference that we're talking about today is that you can be in a well-established company who've been there for generations. But if you're not adopting this kind of technology to tie up the complete chain process, but, you know, from uh, originating a product design to implementing it, to building it, to, to selling it, and to supporting it. If you're not connecting all those pieces in some form of system, you're missing out and your competitors are there to pick up the crumbs and they will move quickly. And, and I think we alluded to this in another podcast. A good example of that was Dollar Shave Club. I mean, they pounced on that opportunity and that's just how quickly something can go from nothing as an idea to, to who had that Dollar Shave Club to a multi-billion dollar buyout, you know, because it was such a disruptor. And it's only because of that experience it wasn't necessarily that that product was any better. It wasn't that they had better salespeople necessarily. It was about the experience of the customer in whole, mm -hmm. right? Not just mm -hmm. those one little pieces. And so I think many companies today have some bits and pieces in play, but is it all connected? Is it where everybody right. sees it for what it really is? And I'm talking about internally. Does the customer support people see what heart the salespeople are putting into the game? to sell that product, you know, and then overall that leadership driving that mission and vision, whatever it is, why they're doing it. Right. Why do we do what we do? Yeah. Well, you well, talk, uh, talk about the new way business yeah. and 
the reality is that most businesses today are still lagging behind. They're not, they're still using the old ways of doing business, the old organizational structure. Even if they're aware that they need to change, they're not sure how. And in a, in a lot of cases, uh, they don't care. They, they, they're comfortable. They think that, that everything is good because they are not tied into the outside world. They're not tied into reality, as we mentioned earlier. And so there are a lot of businesses that just don't care about doing business differently. They don't care about the customer. They don't care about the employee. They care about uh, share value more than anything else. And the fact that businesses that have been around for a long time are falling to the wayside because they are not adapting to the, to the new digital world that we're living in and the war and the new clay as you say organ the need for organizational transformation yeah is just to look at the s p 500 and how that has changed you know in 1964 the, the companies that were on the, on that s p 500 had been there for 33 years in 1964. by 2016 that had dropped to 24 and that's projected at 24 years and that's projected to shrink to 12 years by 2027. And this is because they, one of the chief reasons is because lack of leadership that understands this new world we're in. Uh, and they, the uh, change of focus from the customer and the product and the service and the employees to just how to increase the share value. And there are a lot of ways you can do that without producing one new product, without producing any uh, any new system, to, uh, any new way to do anything. And so unfortunately, that's, that's very prominent too. And, and, and those companies are gonna continue to go to the wayside if they don't do what you guys have said, if they do not change their leadership style and adapt to technology. Yeah. Great. I mean, great points. Any other final thoughts on that? I, I, you know, to, to me, it's a, uh, here, here's the thing. We've spent a lot of time talking about the downsides to all of this, right? We've, we've pointed out some good examples of where leadership maybe has not done what they needed to. We've, we've talked about some of the barriers to that. The good news though, is that there are tools out there. We've talked a little bit about that too, that there are, uh, new systems, there's new technologies, there's new software that's very rapidly available. It's rapid to implement. It does take very long. And, uh, and it's relatively inexpensive. Yes. Compared to the old uh, <laughs> programs that were produced and created organically in an organization, these big leviathans that are out there, the tools are there. Well, to me, it's priceless because if you don't do it, in the next five to 10 years, right. you're not going to have to worry about it, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to be around. That's right. Disruptors. And it's not going to be your existing competitors today, necessarily. Yeah. It's going to be the disruptors that start off from, the, from uh, day one yeah. with this philosophy of leadership and technology. Well, just look at what Uber did, right? Uber disrupted the taxi market. I yeah. mean, overnight, because the experience right. of that customer being able to go on their phone saying, hey, they're going to be here in five minutes, and this is who it is, and this is the kind of car and hey this is how great this driver's been to 5000 other riders man yep. what an overnight change and you know what yeah they utilize this technology that we're talking about 
That's well, how they you differentiate. Know, I can tell you a story about uh, about that Uber. I was in Washington D.C. Uh, January of 2013, and it was snowing like crazy. Uh, I met up with uh, a friend there, and we walked around one evening some of the memorials, and we decided we were going to go to dinner. He picked a place to go to dinner. I had my wife with me. He had his wife with him, and uh, I said, "I said, how far away is this place?" And he said, "Oh, it's." got to be 16, 20 blocks from here. And I said, well, why don't we get a cab? And he said, well, why don't we get an Uber? And I said, what the heck is an Uber? This is 2013, right? So uh, he shows it to me and demonstrates their app on his phone, you know, six years ago. And I was amazed. Literally, in a couple of minutes, a, a car pulls up, just a regular car, and that was going to be our transportation. When I my wife and I talked about that for the rest of the evening. Well, we live in Nashville, been in Nashville for 30 years. And even Nashville six years ago was still, you know, uh, blossoming. It wasn't burgeoning like it is right now. So we get back to Nashville just to find out that Uber was all over the place. It was all over Nashville. We just hadn't even noticed it. So that's the, the that, that disruptive effect. <clears throat> the real disruption we're talking about now, nowadays, isn't even really obvious it's subtle it's it's like i say it's like a tsunami you know you look out over the the surface of, of the water of an ocean from the shore and you don't see the tsunami until it's too late right i mean until it arrives on that shore you have no idea that it's a tsunami and that's how i see the effect of this these disruptors that we're talking about and to your point a minute ago, Dustin, you know, the, the experience that the customer's having is is the biggest deal. That is yeah. the focal point, right? Yeah, it matters how much they're paying for it. Yeah, it matters if it's a particular product. Yes, it matters if they get it on time. But what really matters is in that experience is if they are being treated as though their time has value, not just their money, but their time. Yes. So the, the interesting part there is that that when we're talking about internal and external culture within organizations, that's the, that's the key turning point. That's the, not just the disruptor, but that's the opportunity for organizations. That's the good news is that their customers and their employees want the same thing. And then the, the experience is the experience with leadership is they just want to be appreciated. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I don't mean that to sound ooey gooey necessarily, but, what does being appreciated mean? It means that you've been noticed, you've been acknowledged, and you've been affirmed. And companies that aren't doing that, well, they're in that same category of those that have their, their days numbered. Right. Because the customer is absolutely in charge of the marketplace today, period. Yeah. Well, today than ever. And they, and they will tell you, <laughs> I mean as a leader, wouldn't you want to know from your customers, whether or not whatever you're building or providing as services, uh, delivers what they want. I mean, they'll tell you in real time, Hey, it's not mm -hmm. delivered as promised. And then that allows you to make to iterative changes to your product or services to meet the needs, needs and demands of that customer. But if you mm -hmm. don't, it's as easy as going on a review site. If you want to go start a company tomorrow and go look at the companies that exist, that provide that service or product, and I can go see where the dissatisfaction lies and go try to replicate that business model, but provide where they've failed. 
and you could win those customers away from that company. That's how simple and easy it is today. But you need right. to get a hold and of the, it. The, the ultimate payoff that I think organizations, if they're not looking for, they need to look for is loyalty. Yeah. And that's loyalty from their customers and loyalty from their employees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll give credit where credit's due. As far as I know, Walmart uh, introduced uh, the the customer loyalty uh, campaign and approach. And this is what they did. And you want to talk about an organization that just gobbles up data and uses it in real time. Walmart's been doing it for a long time. And whether they've gotten credit for it, I don't know. But I'm giving them credit for it right now. Is that uh, they, they found out very quickly because they were gathering data in real time that for an employee to resist a customer who wanted to return an item cost Walmart something ridiculous like 390% more than it would have if they would just refund the item. Yeah. Because if they would just refund the item, guess what? Mm -hmm. It's over with. Within five minutes, it's now, what kind of experience did the customer just have? Oh, wow. That was great. That was easy. And they're probably going to turn right around and go back in that store and spend that money. But if you make them work for it, you make them feel like they're wrong, they're making the wrong decision, you're trying to convince them of something that they don't want, what do they do? They leave, they don't come back, and they talk bad about you. That's exactly right. So, you know, again, giving credit where credit's due, I mean, now we have a behemoth like Amazon that adopted that same re- that same return and refund strategy. They're not going to argue with you. Right. You want to send it back, send it back. We'll pay for you to ship it back to us. Absolutely. Because they understand that dichotomy. Yeah. And that dichotomy is you are either putting emphasis and priority on your customer having a positive experience or you aren't. Yeah. And if you aren't, it's because you don't value it. By the same token, leadership make sure that your employees are having a positive experience with you, even in the most horrible situations, the the least desirable situation for you is you've got to make it a positive experience for that employee. I'm not saying lie to them or be dishonest or blow smoke in their direction. I'm just saying, be honest and be open with them and, and make sure that at least it's as good of an experience as possible. Because that's where you spend most of your adult life is in your work. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah. why should it not be a pleasant place to be? Yeah. And that goes right. full circle. I mean, you know, your employees are going to be happier if your customers are complaining less because you've listened to them. You're not making them repeat that yeah. same process over and over. And, and it's your just customers a, are going to be happy and so on and yeah, so on. And you're just continuously improving. I think that's the model that we're talking about here. And, um, well, guys, great podcast today. I think we've, yep. we've covered a lot for leadership. I think we've given our listeners something to think about. Uh, certainly would want to make sure that you're aware that you can go on to WDTNN.com and you can leave your thoughts and comments there. Uh, if you need to email us, you can reach us at editor at WDTNN.com. Uh, and we'd be glad to gather your messages and hopefully we could f- feature your uh, feedback on future episodes. But leaders, uh, we just want to make sure that you understand that you know we're out here to, to create a discussion about things that may, you may be facing. Uh, you may have fears about change, digital transformation, organizational transformation. And this discussion is hopefully there to help you uh, to, to overcome some of those fears and give you some ideas and solutions about how to, uh, to, to make those changes. We're here to help. Certainly reach out to us. Again, WDTNN.com. 
And uh, hope you subscribe and listen to future podcasts. Because we're interested in your opinions too. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.